0: hello it is thursday june 3rd i am trent rinesmith and this is another edition of the daily come on now mma podcast so a lot to cover not anything that's going to take a big chunk of time but just a lot of little pieces today first thing uh, is a come on now for former city co- huntington beach city council member i think that's what his goal, what role was uh, tito ortiz So he gave a bunch of reasons why he was giving up his position, his elected position in Huntington Beach. And the line that stuck with me out of all this was this one, to put it simply, this job isn't working for me. And this is exactly how I would think Tito Ortiz would word this because, well, what we know about Tito is we know a lot about Tito. Um, So... To put it simply this job isn't working for me it's it i've tweeted this earlier this week it's like he's a walking onion headline he's an elected politician the politician's job is not a, a personal job it's not for him the job was never for him the job is to serve his constituents if you think a political job is for you which i know a lot of people do these days but come on now that's not what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be to serve your constituents so That's literally the job, not for you. I know he means it in a different way, but it's funny that it just comes out that way. And it's Tito Ortiz, and you know he's he's made he made from the start. He made this whole thing about himself anyway, and and it didn't pan out as as how as he thought it would. I think he thought that this was just going to be him rolling up there and trolling everybody and. And making a nuisance of himself and not really having a gig to do. He found out quite the opposite. And when the attention he put on himself turned out to be all negative and all bad. And people more or less just wanted to be rid of him and ridiculed him on the regular because of how he acted. Well, then he decided he was out. It was a cowardly move. Um, It was, from the start, a show. He thought it would be the Tito Ortiz show, and it was, but not in the way that he thought it would be. So, good riddance to Tito Ortiz, city council member. So, I saw Ariel Hawani tweeted this, and it was, and this is nothing to do with Hawani, it's just that he was the one who tweeted it. So, don't get excited. Um, he tweeted, UFC is giving fighters competing on cards this month the option to have their fight kit names printed using a rainbow pattern in recognition of 2021 Pride Month, I'm told. And yeah, you don't get to do that, UFC. You don't get to just glom on to uh, Pride Month because it's the month and 11 months out of the year, you ignore homophobia and transphobia and everything else. Related to to lgbtq and then when pride Month rolls around you, you throw a rainbow pattern on a t-shirt um, you, you you do some the least you can in PR and get away with it and still claim that you're involved with the LGBTQ and that you're a supporter. Meanwhile, you have a fighter at the end of last month Donald Cerrone again making homophobic comments and It's nothing new and it's not going to stop, and you don't get to participate like this without acknowledging your shortcomings, and there are plenty. There's no reason why anyone who's been homophobic in the, in the UFC in recent time hasn't been hit up for it. The only times anything was really done was when uh, Nate Diaz tweeted out a slur, and uh, Matt Mitrione made some transphobic comments. And that was right at the start of the UFC's Code of Conduct. Since then, silence. Anytime it gets asked about, silence. At best, you get a, well, they're independent contractors and we won't tell anyone to shut up, cop out. You have a responsibility. Now you have a responsibility to your shareholders, some of who may fall into the LGBTQ community. And then, and then what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do when when those folks come asking? Are you going to tell them tough shit like you tell the media? Are you going to tell them you don't stifle people? Because those are the people that own the UFC now. The stockholders own the UFC. Don't forget that. And so it's no longer whatever Dana White says. It's what the stockholders want. They'll keep that in mind. So no, you don't get this. And the other thing I want to say about this is I saw an overwhelming amount of support for the UFC in this um, in, in Hawani's comments, again, nothing to do with Hawani, all to do with the comments. An overwhelming amount of support, which is disheartening, because it tells me that people really don't know what the UFC does. They make these little um, contributions here and ignore everything else, and the fans buy it, and it's, it's disheartening, it's depressing, and it shouldn't be. The fans should understand that this is nothing but a PR move, It's shallow, it's it's, kind of gross because there's no way that the UFC does support any of this other than to sell product and, you know, appease people who don't know any better. Well, many people do know better. I'm one of them, and the UFC, no, you don't get to do this. Well, you do get to do it because you're shameless, but you shouldn't get to do it. Uh, Malky Kawa who is a MMA manager, and I guess he manages Tyron Woodley. And up until recently, he managed John Jones. And here's what he had to say about Jake Paul, who Woodley, I guess, is fighting um, at some point in the not-too-distant future. But this is what he had to say about a conversation he had with Jake Paul's manager. Jake Paul's manager and I go way back from his days in the UFC when Jake Paul beat Ben Askren, I had Frank Mir on the card at Triller. And when Jake beat Ben the way he did, a lot of people thought Ben threw the fight and there was a lot of hype around it. A lot of people actually gave Ben a chance, which I knew for a fact he didn't have. Nice that he gets a dig in there in Askren. Um, and don't forget, I think uh, he also manages Masvidal, so don't think that was an accident. I started talking to, I guess this Jake Paul's manager, Nakisi Bedarian, which I'm sure that is not how you pronounce that, but I do my best. And started telling him, listen, bro, why do people refer to everybody as bro? You need to give him a legit opponent at some point, kind of giving him my wisdom of how to manage somebody and all that. This is a man who just lost the second biggest draw in the UFC as a, as a client. And he's going to give somebody else management tips? Come on now, Malky. Come on. You blew a John Jones deal. And now this guy's supposed to listen to your tips? Come on now. And here's this: uh, this is a, a two-part come on now. And Tyron Woodley, former UFC welterweight champion, pretty well respected, not by Dana White, but pretty well respected across uh, across the board for his achievements. And here's what Maki Kwa said about Tyron Woodley fighting a YouTuber: this is a major legacy fight. Could you imagine if Tyron Woodley has lost his last four fights, comes in, demolishes this guy, or say it's a really good fight. Tyron pulls it out, goes and does another rematch, gets paid even more for the rematch, let's see, beat him twice in a row, and then decided to hang the gloves up forever. A legacy fight for a UFC champion is not a boxing match against a YouTuber with three, three professional boxing matches. And the only reason they're professional boxing matches is because he got paid for them. They're glorified amateur fights with... With uh paychecks involved, that's it. this is embarrassing to think that a, a UFC champion legacy is going to be affected at all by a fight with a, a boxing match with a youtuber. It's kind of sad it's kind of disappointing, but it is what it is, I guess I don't get it what one thing I do want to point out about this is, which is has nothing to do with Co-op is the fact that he said that this is going to be um, Woodley's biggest payout of his career and his biggest base pay of his career. And let's not forget, this is a former UFC champion. And that that might be why Dana White isn't exactly thrilled to have these former UFC guys fighting a YouTuber on pay-per-view. Because these former UFC guys never made the money they're going to make for this fight. And that's why they're taking these fights. It's got nothing to do with anything but money. And I'm not going to sit here and bash Woodley for taking that money or Askren or anybody or George St. Pierre wanting to fight Oscar De La Hoya. It's money. It's competition. And if the check's in front of you, just take it. Because you're not going to be able, for the the most part, you're not going to be able to retire on what you made from the UFC. So there's an opportunity. You take an opportunity. If you win, you get a rematch. That's more opportunity, more money. He's not wrong there. But that's the sad part about the UFC. And that's the reason Dana White doesn't want these guys to take these fights. Because he knows the pay is more than a UFC champion ever made. Pretty sad. Pretty sad. And I have to give a well played here to Eugene Berman. Eugene Berman, uh, coach at City Kickboxing in New Zealand. Coach of Israel Adesanya, UFC middleweight champion. He took a dump all over Robert Whitaker um a little while ago and said that Whitaker disqualified more or less disqualified himself by from not taking the fight with Adesanya that he will not be the next in line to fight Adesanya for the title Uh, Whitaker gave the reason was because he was nursing some injuries he had to recover he didn't have the time to recover and get back to Australia and all this stuff and every every reason was legit and I admit I called out Behrman on this. I said that he was out of line. And turns out he knew he was out of line. And here's what he said to Submission Radio. I'm just having fun. Robert probably can do what he wants. I don't care. For the first time in my life, I had a little bit of fun trolling people. And I understand why Israel does it so often. I did a couple of interviews with Combat TV. And we talked about how Robert doesn't deserve a shot and this and that. And then I just talked about it now. But the truth is, I'm just having a bit of fun. And this was on Submission Radio. What a bunch of BS, the whole thing, the whole thing. The guy's injured, the guy's had surgery. Of course, man, I have a family. Come on, give me more credit. Give me more credit. Give me more credit than that. The guy has four kids. I had 48 fights under my belt. I've been injured my whole career. You think I'm really serious? Come on, but it was fun. Let me also clarify, Robert deserves the next shot. He's found his way back. He deserves his best shot. We never expected him to take the damn fight. Let me have some fun with the Robert our fans. Um, it's Robert. It's Robert. Nana, I'm not trolling anymore. I promise you I'm not trolling anymore. Let's just get logical thinking and calm minds. Let's let them kind of come back into the internet world. Let's be real. Sorry, Robert. I don't know how much attention Robert pays to the internet, but that was nothing aimed personally at Robert. That was just me and the boys having some fun. It wasn't at your expense, Robert. It was mainly for the people. Well, the idiots, some of your idiot followers. I ha- I hope you don't mind me. I don't mind this. And I think it was easy to fall for this because Behrman rarely is anything but serious. Um, And so well-played Eugene Behrman. I don't expect him to do this often, but he got a lot of people and he said he was getting uh, emails and, and messages about how terrible a person he was. And, you know, I fell for it because like I said, he's never anything but deadly serious. So, I fell for it. Good job, Eugene Behrman. And uh, let's get back to being serious now. So the UFC, and this was a story, in Sportico had, I'm sorry, Endeavor had a, the ownership group of the UFC had a good year. They, I think it said they turned a profit. And here is the reason that Sportico gave for that increase. An increase in sponsorship and media rights revenue for Ultimate Fighting Championship was a bright spot for Endeavor Group holdings as a new public business reported its first quarter sales Wednesday evening. Now, let's just break that out. Sponsorship and media rights increase. So, sponsorship and media rights in every other major sport, uh, MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL, is part of the collective bargaining agreement. The sponsorship and media rights league-wide are split. Whatever the uh, revenue share is in each of those collective bargaining agreements, somewhere between I'm gonna think 45 and 50 percent, the uh, the players get divided amongst them. Um, with that, with those, with those rights, the UFC no CBA zero percent. And, and I think John Nash explained this and this is why one of the reasons he believes, and I think he's right now in hindsight, one of the reasons he believes the UFC went to the fight kits, it wasn't to streamline things as as far as just one person doing the fight kits. That that worked out great and put some, um, for lack of a better term, uniform uniformity onto the fight kits. But the real reason was to get... The individual sponsors out of the cage on the fighters. So you notice there's no individual sponsors on the fight kits. There's no individual sponsors on a, a backdrop. No sponsorship uh, prints anymore. It's all UFC branding sponsorship deals on the octagon floor, around the octagon, a clock. All of this is branded for the UFC and all of that money, which is over $100 million, goes directly to the UFC. So every time you see a deal um, being spoke about that the UFC struck a new sponsorship deal or a new partnership deal, remember, all that money goes directly to the UFC, does not go to the fighters. So this is a reason why the fighters need a collective bargaining agreement. Because a hundred some million dollars is being left on the table, divide that in half. Over fifty million dollars could be split up amongst the UFC fighters. Have if they had a if they had a collective bargaining agreement. They don't, and so all that money when you see the 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 canvas looking like a NASCAR, all that money is going into the UFC's pockets. Don't forget that. Um, Jorge Masvidal is starting a bare knuckle. Uh, promotion. I think it's called Game Bread Fighter. Uh, he's got his first fight card coming up. I don't know the revenue share. Speaking of revenue share, I don't know the revenue share of that. I would love to know because Masvidal was one of the guys who spoke up that he was underpaid in the UFC and he is. I would never deny that and that he, they deserve the better cut of the revenue. Now, my question for Jorge Masvidal about that is what's the revenue share he's Doing a split with his fighters, and also the next question then is because I I got a press release today from um, about what's also going on with uh, Gamebred Fighter, and it seems like he's doing a kind of so you want to be a street fighter kind of deal where he's traveling around filming fights and putting them up behind a paywall. Now this is more revenue going into Masvidal's pocket, and then my question again is. How is that revenue getting divided? Are the fighters that they're going to visit in these street fights or whatever they are, are they going to get a share of any share of that? Of that, or is this just Masvidal putting the fights uh, on, behind a paywall and making all the money? This is a question that I think Masvidal should be forced to answer because he's somebody that spoke up about bad pay. Well, if there's bad pay, wouldn't you want to be somebody who? rises above that and vocally you know, tells everyone, no, my, my revenue share is much better than what the UFC gives. I know what it's like to get cheated. Or do you know what it's like to get cheated and how easy it is to cheat somebody and then you do it just because it's being done to you? I don't know. But Jorge Masvidal should tell us that because I think it's important. So recently, um, just today, Floyd Mayweather said that he of course he would want a rematch with Conor McGregor, and yeah, of course he would. Now I see that some people are going to take this as Masvidal being—I'm sorry, Masvidal—Mayweather being hungry for money and just wanting a paycheck, and you know, desperate for money to pay off taxes or whatever they think. But the big picture is, we saw the first fight. He carried McGregor. So if you can make, and just roll this over in your mind a little bit, if you could make $100 million by dragging your ass off the couch, not really training, just doing some road work, maybe hitting some pads, there's $100 million, all you got to do is make weight and beat this guy, which you know you can easily, why not do it? If someone's going to dangle $100 million in front of you for a job you know you can complete and complete quickly, easily, with no training, why would you refuse that? It's silly to refuse that. He'd be a fool to refuse that. So if it's going to happen, why not encourage it to happen? Why not throw it out there? Mayweather is not a, uh, he's not a dumb man. The most money he made in a fight in his career was the McGregor fight. And he was never in any danger. And the fight went as long as he wanted it to. And now he even knows what he's going to face in McGregor. So it's even easier for him. McGregor has not gotten better since then either. And that's not to say Mayweather hasn't gotten better or has gotten worse too. I don't know. But the gap between the two was pretty enormous to start with and it's not going to get any thinner uh, through time. Mayweather is always going to have that advantage. And if the money's there, take it. Take it. Spend it. Have a grand old time. You're not going to get hurt. You're not at risk. So if this fight's on the table, Mayweather would be a fool not to take it. Uh, Last thing I want to do is, uh, Al Iaquinta, and I think he deleted this tweet, but he said that um, Luke Thomas dumped on uh, Ortiz's stepping away from this city council seat, and rightfully so, because, yeah, that's a real job, and he didn't think it was. And so Luke Thomas dumped on it, and Iaquinta tweeted something about that we should respect them. For what he achieved as a fighter, but the two are unrelated, and um, I don't know why um, Ayacuña felt that he needed to to defend Tito Ortiz's record as a city council member. We've seen his record, and it was pretty abysmal. Um, and it was all about you know him and making a fool of himself. So uh, Thomas was right on the mark here because yeah, you should not encourage anyone to get into politics that doesn't know what the hell they're getting into or what the hell they're doing. And the criticism had nothing to do with Tito Ortiz the fighter. It had all to do with Tito Ortiz the politician. So those are easy to separate and they should be separated. So come on now. You can criticize Tito Ortiz the politician. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't criticize Tito Ortiz the politician. But I like Quinta... I guess thinks you shouldn't, but come on now. He didn't do a good job. He didn't do a job. Um, and on that note, I'm going to call it a day. I will probably be back tomorrow with that first um, news wrap-up. We'll see how it goes. I'll do my best to keep my yap shut and just concentrate on the uh, new, the newsworthiness of these things and uh, keep my comments, if they are critical, to a, a minimum and just tell you, you know, this is what's going on and why it's good, bad, indifferent, you know, whatever it may be. But gonna give that a shot, see how it does. And uh yeah, until then, everyone, stay safe.